0: Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, i will introducing your host, Gareth Beckett.
1: Welcome my mountain bike buddies to the MTB Tribe Podcast, episode number 8. And just when recording this episode, the podcast has went live and it's been running there for a couple of days. So I really want to just say thank you so much for all the support that everybody has shown the podcast it is brilliant to have you involved and have you on there and thank you so much if you subscribed through the website or subscribed on itunes or stitcher Um, i'm seeing the downloads and you know for northern ireland we're doing well we've got plenty of downloads coming in there and people are active in their mountain bike community so that is awesome and i just want to say thank you so much for that that's brilliant so to on to today's show We are speaking with Neil Anderson, who is a WBFF Pro bodybuilder, but also an absolutely awesome personal trainer. So he will be talking us through what we can do off the bike to get better when we're on the bike and on the trails, everything from how to train from a complete beginner to a more advanced level, how to eat properly, how important recovery is, how important stretching is, uh, and some of the stuff really blew my mind because it was very different to what I was expecting. I, I wasn't expecting some of the the training things Neil talked about in the in the gym or how you could do some stuff at home as well, which is really good if you if you just can't get to a gym or you don't like that environment. It's very, very good. The stretching he was talking about totally blew my mind because I would go the other way and stretch completely differently from what Neil is saying to do for Mountain Bike Pacific. He also talks a wee bit about his his past, how you get into fitness and training, how you get into bodybuilding. And even though it's not mountain bike Pacific, it is very good to listen to because you understand the man and his knowledge and his depth and training and fitness and, and how to prepare your body for what you're going to be doing as far as biking etc goes. So it's really, really good. I just want to say thank you so much for Neil to be on the show. Um, it's absolutely awesome speaking to him and I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's introduce Mr Neil Anderson. All right, Neil, welcome, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. Thank you very much for being here. It's pretty cool, man. How are you? Great, day. Good to see you. Been good. a while. Ah, oh, good, good. Uh, so we're just sitting in my house here at the minute. You're down for a bash that one of our mates is having.
0: Absolutely, yeah. For his yeah, one-year-old kid. Aye. <laughs> we're all moving on. We're getting older.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. So we're going to talk about a wee bit about yourself first, and then we'll chat about uh, mountain bike kind of Pacific training and stuff. Really from the the angle of somebody that wants to get a bit fitter, somebody that's getting into it maybe for the first time and wants to maybe up their game a wee bit later on. Um, so you yourself are a WBFF pro bodybuilder, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: um a little bit of a the modern sort of take on bodybuilding where it's actually stepping back into classic roots as such. So it's a bit more of a it's the physique and of bodybuilding. So still. Pretty big guys, but that kind of classic look of the sort of Arnie era were not complete freakishly big. You know, Mm. you obviously Mm -hmm. see the Olympia guys and they are incredibly impressive, but they're walking up on stage 260, 270 pounds. So the federation I'm in is looking more for a slightly still like an athletic kind of base where you're still very physically capable but at the same time you're still uh, we're big guys you know but Mm -hmm. it's it's a a slightly different look and it's a bit more what they kind of throw about these days the term aesthetics so it's kind of like i say that old school smaller waist sort of big Mm -hmm. big uh, muscular frame but Mm. like i say athletic still so yeah um yeah but
1: a lot of work and but you still look massive in a wetsuit as I have witnessed. <laughs> yes.
0: it's getting one to fit, so yeah, there's a bit <laughs> customizing the way to go.
1: Brilliant. So you um you're a personal trainer as well up in Jim in the Devonish complex in Belfast, isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. Is that where you would do the majority of your training and work and all from that base?
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's a really modern facility, so it's a very—it's like a big commercial gym, but privately owned. So there's a nice feel about it as well. But there's two, two of them now. So there's one, one in the city, and then uh, the uh, the primary one up uh, where I work out of in uh, Finicky. Well, I say primary—it was the original one—is is the right mm-hmm. term. But it's good actually having the two facilities because for me and training and working in the same facility all the time you you sometimes feel like you just need to get away so I can go down to the city gym and it's a whole different environment so but Mm -hmm. it's got everything for me in terms of what I'm doing and sports performance based training you've got everything under the one roof which is great
1: and would you get a lot of guys coming in there that do you know everything from rock climbing to canoeing to you know. Would you get all types coming in and asking for your advice and stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've worked a lot with uh, athletes across the board and received working like Sir Carl Frampton and his off, off season oh, and so really? on. So that was great. I was yes. training him for strength and conditioning, but there are a lot of guys. Yeah, a lot of Ulster rugby guys and things come up that way as well. Train a few of them and basically, it's been kind of for me it 's great because it gets everyone under the one roof and it 's quite an interesting mix of guys work yeah. coming from gaA sports through soccer rugby and um, in the likes of the combat sports and things as well so for me uh, lots of professional athletes, lots of ranked amateurs mm-hmm. and uh, in terms of sort of cycling end i 've worked a lot with uh, um, triathletes and well cycle specific guys as well um, just sort of uh, a couple of guys, a couple of my clients actually went off and did a couple of legs of the tour de france and things so they're quite they're they're at a good amateur level you know
1: yeah wow and you know we have known each other for a number of years we went to school together to uni and stuff and we've surfed together obviously um but how did you get into the whole bodybuilding scene now when i knew you you were obviously in good shape you've always been in good shape um but you done athletics for Ireland and pole vaulting um, yeah. and things like that. But how did you get into it? Like, was it through watching Arnie movies or something? Or I, is that how well, you got I think, involved?
0: <laughs> yeah, that our generation. You know, we We, <laughs> did, we grew up watching these sort of uh, all like incredible, kind of almost comic book like superheroes, only in the flesh on the screen. So there was always that inspiration there, and I think early stages of training and things I got quite obsessive about my training for performance but it sort of married at that time particularly with bodybuilding style training where uh, the strength-based work was all the guys basically the top bodybuilders in the world were producing the books and things like I remember reading Mike Metzer's books and people Mm -hmm. like this and to me I looked around me at the guys that were performing well in athletics and particularly at that Uh, era of pole vault it was the guys that looked a bit more like the gymnastic shape so they're still reasonably heavily muscled and I kind of aspired to then perform better but I felt it was there was nearly an element you had to look like you performed Mm -hmm. so I kind of married the two Uh, a lot of sort of gymnastic based training alongside the track and field as well as bodybuilding techniques, really to build my strength and condition through uh, the the off season and indeed into uh, competitive season. So I didn't realize it at the time, and like you said, I was kind of at that stage. I would have been warrior, but people would always say at my at a young age, like, "Geez, you've, you're fair size" and so on. Mm-hmm. So it, it it happened. Just it's sort of one of those things I kind of fell into, and I'd always that notion. So. I didn't realise initially that uh, there's different levels obviously of bodybuilding and you have to start somewhere and uh, I'd gone off um, sort of in my 20s I'd spent a lot of time away as you know I'd sort of travelled, lived in Australia at that time I, I'd been surfing mostly and then I got back into my bodybuilding the tail end of that trip mm-hmm. came back and I literally from that time forward really didn't miss a day's training in terms of uh, bodybuilding I, I obviously still surfed and so on and uh, kept that up but I just took a a real notion to focus on it, and at that time, my career was really taken off from the personal training. Because in my teens, I had worked as a as a mentor to other athletes. Uh, I think I gained that sort of recognition, and in in part that was because of how I looked. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. as much as there was the performance, but it was like you, you were walking about a wee bit different to your average individual, and. People re- realised that the training was paying off, and mm-hmm. uh, teachers and things asked would to take other guys under my wing and so on. So that's where I sort of got a love for teaching others. I, a bit uh, of the craft.
1: And when you were training, when you were training for your pole vaulting, because that was for Ireland, wasn't it? That was yeah.
0: Uh, I competed uh, a few times for Ireland, and then uh, you know went off to uh, do some of the events across in uh, Scotland and so on at a um, under. 16 record actually and mm-hmm. in in indoors uh, actually it was under 18 but at a, the indoor record and I went out to get um, I think it was a silver at that stage in the in their outdoor event and did the Irish senior events and so on so it was at a good level mm-hmm. yeah we were sort of uh, working towards that time kind of with the hope of going towards Commonwealth's Right, and, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, an injury uh, put on an early oh, end. No. There, unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, you it, know.
1: As it can often do. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, had you anybody coaching you or training you as far as the gym work goes?
0: Yeah, we... It was... It was quite vague and a bit thrown together at that stage. And I think that also encouraged me to be a bit more hands on. Uh, we had a, we had a pole vault specific coach who spotted me just at a, um, a school event and asked me how many times I pole vaulted. And I said, well, actually, that's my first time. He was quite surprised and said, look, we've got an elite crowd. And as you know, another one of our other friends, good, good friends who serves with us, Carl Russell, he was in the mm-hmm. well, he later joined the same group. And it was, a, we were quite an elite sort of crowd with all top level up to uh, sort of at that time, Neil Young, who was doing um, Commonwealth and so on. So yeah, there was a, an elite crowd, but we were getting the best of advice. So we were getting a lot of information coming from the States at the time in terms of performance based training, how to improve your, your speed, strength, power. And uh, we were using those techniques, but it was it was more that it was explained to us and then we were kind of went off and if we did it, we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But at the time I sort of was obsessive about it so I I really pushed the boat out yeah. and, and then I also went about reading and learning and integrating some of the techniques that I learned through bodybuilding and so on. Well, body, bodybuilding books and I suppose I was partaking in the sport un, unwittingly in a way, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, without the notion of being on stage which came a long time later actually. But... Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, th- there was there was advice there. It was at times limited. There wasn't the expertise on the ground here. We were kind of being relayed the best of information, but it mm-hmm. wasn't maybe sort of directed and and taught as well as it right. as it yeah. would have been if we'd have been say in the states doing the same thing, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So then, how did you, or when did you make the decision to go full time into bodybuilding? Well. Uh, it's sort of, I landed
0: upon it in a way. I was talking there before about when I came back from Australia, I really wanted to focus. I was personal training at the time and really in uh, like into the education side and was doing a lot of learning and took me down sort of different avenues, corrective training and, and uh, injury avoidance and so on, which was massive to me after my sort of early end, of the pole vault career. So I'd also had two shoulder surgeries, on account of that injury and wanted to really get myself back to like a, you know, bulletproof status in mm-hmm. terms of how my, I felt within my body. So I, uh, I really then focused a lot on my training at that point and living in Marbella uh, a couple of years later was a wee bit of a shock. I felt, you know, I'm, a, I'm the personal trainer and you had these guys yeah. wa- like walking about the place, going into the clubs and things that were literally just like what you'd see in the front of men's health magazine i was like well they're the guys coming to me for advice and as much as i was in good shape Mm -hmm. um i just felt i needed to step up my game so they would aspire to look more like myself so that was when the kind of probably like not to sound narcissistic but the aesthetic kind of aspect of things really came to play again Mm -hmm. so i focused massively on it and really Again, got very obsessive about my training. I Like when I do it, I kind of do it 110%, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I started to improve dramatically. And I felt great. I think it always was a confidence thing with me. Throughout my teens, I felt very confident when I was performing well in athletics and even sort of looking like someone, like I say, who performed well, looking strong and so on. Mm -hmm. So I took a lot from that time and I was working with um, interesting individuals in the realm of sport. Some of the guys from uh, that held the PGA cards down in the Costa who were working sort of functional training for golf and things. So they were trained at an elite level, but it was obviously somewhat different to the yeah. aesthetic type training. But there was a bit of a, a, a bodybuilding scene there, and uh, I came back actually at the time up to dw where patrick sweeney was he was one of the naba judges which are is sort of the main proving ground really right. in all ireland now still uh it's it's one of the it's the top level of uh bodybuilding really over here and uh he suggested he said you've changed some some might in the last couple of years really putting the effort in how about you think of doing the North, mr northern ireland next year and uh, at that time, I was like, really? You know, I, I, I still had this notion of bodybuilders having to look like Dorian Yates from <laughs> you know, growing, up, growing up in the, in the 90s and, uh-huh. and seeing the, when the mass monsters took took over. And I uh, I couldn't, as much as I didn't look like a regular guy by any stretch of the imagination, it was still a long ways off those guys. But he said, no, you've got a real good balance of shape. Carry a bit more muscle into the next year, and all of a sudden you, you'll you'll find yourself very very competitive. So it kind of it really inspired me and just got me really driven.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that I missed the competition side of things. And as much as it's a strange sport in some people's mind, because well, it's not performance based. Especially that being said pretty much all bodybuilders are going to be very strong they're going to be yeah. very capable in the gym at that side of the at the strength and power end of this of the fitness spectrum but yeah he he basically said yeah push yourself and see see where you can go i thought well if i like getting on stage i kind of like the thought of maybe being in a competitive environment that i can win again because that mm. i missed that and for us with our surfing i think it was always that kind of soulful thing where it's kind of more of a is not we don't really see it as a sport. Yes, of course, yeah. it is incredibly physically demanding, but there's a, a a greater element to it in terms of meditation and, and that mm-hmm. sort of yeah. feeling stoke that you get from it. It's something a bit more than sport. So, this gave me my competitive sport back. And I really, it just it inspired and encouraged me to really just push myself. Uh, and then, yeah, the following year, I went out and did the uh, Mr. Northern Ireland First Timers, which they always sort of say is that's your big proving ground and that'll be whether or not you move forward or you kind of just realise it's not for you and uh, there was a lot of competition that year a lot of guys and it was hailed a long time before the show that I wouldn't win because it was two uh, two or three guys that were really at a, you know, they'd been in the game a little bit longer and so on. And that just served to push me further. And I kind of was like, well, no one's going to work harder for this than I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that being said, I still, you step on stage, you look at all these guys, you're like, how am I ever going <laughs> to compete with this because you don 't ever quite see yourself as you, as you might be maybe you know yeah. so uh but went out and took a win and um, went off then to mister Britain's, got a runner up trophy in the uh mr britain uh first timers, and that was kind of me hooked really i just i I did love being on stage, and it was a challenge for me, I think sort of i 'd be. As much as it kind of doesn't come across as, I would be sort of self-conscious and kind of just a bit more uh, introverted than people imagine me to be, and and that challenge was great as well. Yeah. So there's a bit of a social challenge to it as well.
1: Aye. Oh, well, you need that, I think. And anything you need something that takes you out of your comfort zones because it pushes you forward, doesn't it? Yeah, big time. And and
0: I think that's where for me always that slight. Nervousness and kind of feeding off adrenaline is when I kind of perform at my best. When, like mm-hmm. you say, when you are out of your comfort zone. Yeah, so. no,
1: I think so. Um So, when did you? Well, you've kind of said there that you know you just kind of knew that that's what you wanted to do when you when you started competing, get them results. Um, and is it something that you feel you're going to do? You're going to do for quite a while now, or have you other things planned in the near future? Or
0: well, I. This year, I've slimmed down a little bit and uh, dropped a bit of weight. I was about 18 odds down there oh, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> at, at sub 5'10", just shy of 5'10". That's pretty hefty. So I really noticed that when I was trying to surf at that weight. So yeah. I, I thought, I'm not going to compete this uh, competitive year that we're currently in. I'm going to wait until next year. So I actually slimmed down again. Which is what I did when I won the pro card in 2014 I'd spent that winter getting back into surfing so I dropped a little bit of weight and I actually then grew into the show I think at this stage of my career where the body's aware I've had a threshold of muscle I can get back to that easier right yeah uh, whereas earlier in your career you're kind of chasing that muscle you're trying to eat everything in sight to try and get full enough and big enough to actually carry the requisite sort of muscle once it's there it's like the body sort of knows and you kind of you can drop back a little bit and then spend now it's a it's a big process you're gonna have to put aside another you know six or eight months and stay in pretty good shape but just right. a little bit lighter. so that's my goal this uh next couple of months and i've been back in the water i'll, I'll get a surf again today and a, and i had a knee surgery last year um not training-related, typically just living hard and fast and hurting <laughs> yourself, you know? Trip coming out of the shower or <laughs>
1: Well,
0: yeah, it wasn't actually much more exciting than that, but yeah, t- typically you have these uh, riding motorbikes and things can be a wee bit uh, sore in the body, yeah, so totally. you, know, you know yourself.
1: Oh, I know. It's, it's pretty crazy at times. Um, so I'm interested in your, your kind of morning rituals as well. When you're training and you're competing... What would the first 60 minutes of your morning kind of consist of? Do you have any kind of morning rituals that you would stick to?
0: Not, it depends. I I try to, especially if I'm right bang in towards shows, I try to optimize my sleep really for recovery. So what I kind of go on the emphasis of later on where a lot of guys are losing their strength from the diet, the, the sort of, you know, very restrictive diet and so on. I'm kind of I don't know whether my body adapted and maintains to being in a kind of strict regime like that which I was for pole vault but I actually kind of really enjoy the diet. The only mm. thing is obviously you're, you you do have to be in a deficit so you are going to be slightly more tired than normal. I really work off ensuring that I get maximum sleeping time. Because there's a lot of um, sort of science behind the notions of body fat loss and so on. In a, with a sleep pattern of five hours, you lose massively less than someone who's getting eight hours. Right. And when you're at rest, that's when the body chooses fat as its
1: fuel. Well, that's interesting because I want to speak a wee bit later about recovery yep. and about how that affects the system because there's a lot of chat in the media at the minute about sleep and everything oh, else yeah. and how it can affect, you know, just your your thing and your everyday, absolutely. you know, so we'll talk a wee bit about that. That'll be, no that'll be quite good. So, well, you were saying
0: then just, so when I do get up, basically I have a, yeah, I have a ritual at that point because a lot of it's sort of gut health and things like that. are important to me. So I'll get up and I'll be warm water and lemon to sort of basically, uh, stimulate the hydrochloric acid of the stomach, which gets your metabolism kicked off again mm-hmm. for the day. Eating, ton of food invariably because even at that stage yes you're dieting but it's breakfast to me is a, it's important to get a good solid base for the day uh, so there's a brave wee bit of eating and then it'll be probably just straight on the gym floor now normally I schedule clients very early so I'll have my first client from 6, six in the morning
1: wow really yeah before work kind of 9am type yeah they get
0: in before work and normally like and i'm lucky i've got very motivated clients and so on they're wanting to push themselves the next level and that kind of gives me a week spurs me on so i'll do maybe two to three sessions before my own training because i prefer actually training later morning uh because simply body body temperature, core temperature's up yeah A little bit less likely to have injuries and things like that mm. And just feeling after that first meal It's gone down and I'm ready to yeah. kick off
1: So if you're taking somebody at 6 in the gym for a session What time do you get up at in the morning?
0: I, I'm i kind of a last minute, just literally. 10 to 6. Yeah, <laughs> not, not just as bad as that, but I'll have things left out. So the food and all will be sat there. Uh, I'll quick get up. That's food for my second meal, but I get up just enough time to basically scramble a bunch of eggs and have avocado with it and uh, a bit of apple cider thrown in, and that's me literally. So probably about quarter past five, 20 past five, and I've my food in me ten minutes later. Right. <laughs> so Cheers. it's kind of well fifteen minutes later. But it yeah, I'd be not that I feel rushed in the morning, but I do like I say, I optimize the sleep. I try and get to bed a little bit earlier mm-hmm. during those times as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, when when you're competing and training hard, would you? How often would you train a day and for how long?
0: At uh, the last. It, it depends on how the season's rolling in. I've got a lot more organic in my approach. The first year was very much, it had to be sort of regimental around sort of, I was training double splits, so I was training twice a day uh, and I had a set time for those. As I sort of moved on in my career, I found that I could I would go a little bit by more, more by how my body felt. Mm. Mm-hmm. and i find that has been very good to avoid injuries but also to optimize my training when I do it. So last time, actually, when I uh, got second in the LA Pro, which is sort of one of my best results, really, I trained only six days a week, and I literally trained for about an hour and ten minutes. A day. A day. Whereas I know other guys um, you know, at an amateur level who are doing probably two and three times that in Ah. terms of their actual time spent in the gym that being said the sessions were brutally hard and still very heavy lifting yeah because the thing is it's you know it's about what the body's engine's doing and you know we'll talk probably a little bit about this when it comes to um you know mountain biking as well but the cycle cycles basically the if you look at that like the body's engine and it getting fuel into the muscles speeding that up and having basically so then when your when your uh, body's at rest it's idling higher it's going to use more fuel at rest it's really at rest what, mm. what you want to maximise uh, in terms of your metabolic function uh, from your training it's not so much this notion of calories in versus calories out what you burn there and then it's actually more about what the body's doing the next 24 hours of the day or 23 hours of the day mm. that really count mm-hmm. so for me if I'm going in and I'm Bench and say one, 180 for 6 Versus being Too tired And end up Benching 120 for 6 There's obviously Going to be A huge amount More energy Expired over The long haul mm-hmm. From those Big heavy lifts mm-hmm. So I kind of Make sure That I'm in a Position and that, that last Show prep Where I literally Was one One session a day Was more than enough But I was Literally like Crawling away From those sessions I had nothing left wow. And I was still Able to lift Very heavy During them So it was About optimising yeah, the time yeah. in the gym as opposed to spending more time in the gym.
1: I get in your 80-20 kind of thing, sort of. Y- you know where... I. it's a balance. Yeah, yeah, where 20% input gives you 80% of your, out- Absolutely. your output. Absolutely. Yeah. Type no, like. for sure. Yeah, I can understand that. Alright, so let's talk a wee bit more then about the mountain biking Pacific stuff and how we can train better and get stronger and fitter and everything else. So for somebody that's a complete beginner, if they came to you and asked your advice um, to get them into mountain biking... Besides riding their bike, what would you kind of advise that they do initially? Even while, whilst doing
0: a lot of that activity, if you think of the nature of the seating position, for example, and when you're on your bike, you're going to do a lot of work from your hip flexors. Your glutes, the biggest muscle in the body, may suffer as a consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the VMO, which is a muscle in and around the knee, which keeps the knee moving straight, is hugely important, and if it's very thick and and strong, it's going to basically power you up through hills and things as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, in terms of setting up for it, you you know you hop onto a bike, and if you haven't been to bike in ages and you go out for two hours, you could maybe get away with it, but then you're going to be sore for like four days, you know. Yeah, yeah. So as you're sort of building into it from a beginner's point of view, I would do sort of glute uh, active um, exercises. And uh, likes to squatting and things for high repetitions. Right. So
1: rather than heavy weight, go yeah, high still, rep. Really. Yeah,
0: still going with a reasonable weight, but you're, you're trying to build up the oxidative capacity of the faster muscle fiber so it's a bit more of a strength endurance that you're looking at all-out mm-hmm. power, which is that kind of explosive for just a couple seconds. Don't get me wrong, that's useful to have as well, but mm-hmm. it'll develop to a certain degree as well working in the strength endurance spectrum but what you want to be able to do is recover very quickly and do high volume of activity the likes of the squats great for virtually any sort of sport because it's driving from the from the feet up through but of course on a bike that's your you know it's mm-hmm. your bread and butter but it's also strengthening the core so that when you're on the bike for hours on end and you're getting quite taxed you're going to be doing a lot from your core mm-hmm. all the balance the control taking the the, the uh, sort of impact and so on so the likes of that would be useful binding as well which will get you into that sort of explosive sprint type notion where you may be doing box jumps things like that lateral lateral movement patterns just to stabilize the joints because the other thing as well is you're going to come off time and time again
1: yeah unfortunately
0: you know and you <laughs> want you want your joints to be well stabilized strong able to take those knocks and bumps if it's a foot down on a dodgy point you don't want your, your knee to cave under you and things mm-hmm. like that so yeah there's a lot of uh, strength that would be very useful and, and then just overall movements I think for anyone that's doing uh, a an, a sport that's in triple flexion by that, that I mean sort of bent over and flexing through the hips and flexing through the shoulder area uh, and knees you want to go into extension every once in a while so you build the opposing muscles that aren't engaged massively when you're doing your activity right. simply to get a good retain good posture and regain uh, and address underactive muscles in the body because then the overactive muscles can pr- perform better because right. the 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 skeleton moves as it should as opposed to being pulled into awkward positions so yeah. too much of one thing can put the body in a position where it won't perform at its best simply because <clears> it's <throat> stress and strain on certain joints because muscles are basically work as levers. Right. So if one side of the lever is far too strong and overactive, it is at the expense of the opposing. Yeah, okay. So working around the hips. The likes of foam rolling and things as well is great for uh, guys on bikes and doing Uh, Big uh, miles and so on And and intense miles Uh, So in round periformis top of the glutes Which would relieve the back out In round the hip flexors To try and mobilize those hips And let the glutes fire and so on So those wee things before and after Can be potentially Mm -hmm. very good Especially for beginners who are going to notice the pain
1: Yeah And if somebody came to you say they're a casual biker like me, maybe gets out a couple of times a week, a couple of hours a session, maybe something like that. Wants to do a wee bit more in the gym, you know. And most people I think would go to the gym and would probably go on the bike in the gym, would go on the Alepdo, uh and then would maybe go and do some benching or something, you know. But what, like you're talking about box jumps and all, and yeah. you know, normal people that are getting into it for the first thing wouldn't, wouldn't think of box jumps at all i no. wouldn't cross their mind like what would you say you know if if i came to you what kind of routine would you give me and would it be two times a, day, a week three times a week what would you suggest
0: well say you riding the bike what, two to three times i'd say you hit the gym twice that's plenty in a week right giving yourself again plenty of time to recover but making the gym sessions count as well mm-hmm. and having them a bit practical that they are going to improve your performance on the bike yeah, you're going to feel a bit stronger, avoid the atrophy process, be able to take the knocks and bumps so you're strong up around the upper half as well, because sometimes you're going to fall and put a hand out.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, and you yeah.
0: you want your, again, in around the shoulder joint to be particularly strong. Yeah, somewhere.
1: well, I feel, you see when I haven't been biking for a while over the winter or whatever, and I go out, the first thing I actually feel after them first couple of sessions... As my shoulders and my arms. A forearm
0: pump can be a brutal one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the old like triceps feel a bit worked. Yeah, and, you and know. It, probably in around the rotator cuff. Just uh, And it's because you're clamping up and you're tense here as well. you know, When you're starting back, you wouldn't be just as on form of things. So mm-hmm. you're, and, but also, it's just singly the muscle fatigue. But yeah, if you were to come into the gym, I would take you through a little bit of foam rolling uh, to get you mobilized and, and make sure the hip uh, mobility is in good shape then doing like a single leg exercise, maybe like a single leg deadlift or something to just get a bit of heat into the body as much as anything, but also engaging your glutes, uh, stabilizing your core, Uh, then maybe a little bit of um, resistance-based work after that. So I'd probably go in with, i go generally the bigger lifts, the bigger muscles first to optimize your load throughout. So maybe going in and doing the likes of your squat, uh then doing a big pull, a big push. So you're doing basically full body workouts that are compounding, like you know, mm. you're you're basically ideally maybe doing some form of cleaning press or something, which is gonna be great for the central nervous system in terms of everything firing at the right time, but getting you in the end of the phase into triple extension, which we were talking about. So the the back of the posterior chains engaged, which it won't be as massively. In, mm-hmm. uh, when you're in the seated position on the bike, but yeah, in the gym, basically avoiding the bike yeah. because you might use it as a very quick warm up, particularly on a cold mm-hmm. day. But that would be the height of it. There's no point going to the gym then on oh. the bike and do like sprints and so on. Yeah. you have got to save that for when you're on the bike because you can do other things that are going to promote your 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 strength and ability, and indeed your your endurance on on the bike.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting <clears> because. Um, a couple of shows ago, I was talking to a wee fella, Callum McGee. He's 20 years old, but he's um, he's an elite pro uh, biker, racer. And um, I just personally asked him, you know, turbo trainers, does he use one? Just more or less to find out for myself. Uh, but he said no. Um, he he kind of, at times like that, when, you know, it's dirty outside, it's wet, it's windy, whatever, he would use that as gym time. Right. Rallying the turbo trainer because he says it really, yes, it helps if you're doing nothing, but he would prefer to actually get into a gym and do something different and strengthen other areas, yeah. you know. So,
0: well, it's, it's such an athletic sport, there's so much goes into it. It's, it's one of those sports that people don't sort of probably think about straight away as being as physically demanding th- across the board you do mm-hmm. you have you have to have a lot of strength as well and a lot of that's to just sort of throwing the bike about particularly because you're on dirt there's so much going through your core that you have to be very very strong like it's similar like surfers and things you look at surfers they're always in great shape same with mountain bikers snowboarders skiers people mm-hmm. that are really uh, on demanding terrain and yeah. constant changes in body movement and coordination and so on. Uh, so, yeah, you want to then to just jump onto a turbo trainer, which is basically like an upright bike that's supporting you and hammer away. You kind yeah. of take out so many elements of the athleticism. So mm. he's quite right to go into the gym and maybe try and recreate uh, some different movement patterns, lateral bounds, rotational patterns with sort of for core work, maybe with medicine balls, Swiss balls, things yeah. like that, and then doing strength-based work to be able to hit the the, the big hills, especially under soft ground and having a power to get the bike moving when mm-hmm. <laughs> other people, you know, you're going to burn out. And then, like yeah. I say, back to the oxidative capacity of those faster twitch muscles, which really the turbo trainer probably won't give you the same sort of resistance that you're going to feel when you're actually on your yeah. bike,
1: on yeah. the dirt. Yeah, well, I suppose it's the same as being on a running machine or actually out running. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So somebody then that, say, can't get to a gym um, and and doing stuff from home, is there anything they can do from home, um, you know, a quick 30, 40-minute thing in the morning or something like that? What would it be best to do if they have no kind of weights or anything like that?
0: Yeah, again a wee bit of core based work. The single leg work can work without any sort of weight. Uh binding like explosive uh like ice skaters and things like this, which is like exactly as it sounds. It's just that like you ever see a speed skater they're doing these quite low movements of uh and, and unilateral movements so they're on the one leg and they're really powerfully mm-hmm. driving out of that into the other leg those sort of movements are quite good for uh cyclists because again that's vmo engagement glute activation but also it's very explosive it'll also hit the heart and lungs because if you do that it's a sprint it's hitting the very uh, thickest of the muscle fibers that mm-hmm. have very low capacity to uh, uh do, do much so basically after eight to ten seconds you're you're yeah. huffing and puffing <laughs> yeah. so again it'll, it'll improve the lung capacity as well but uh the likes of that then even maybe having like a like doing some hill sprints would be useful because again it's still core active because anything that your 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 movement is is sort of uh sparked and you're engaging in that kind of explosive you're still having to do an awful lot to balance your body mm-hmm. Uh the likes of that press-ups pull-ups because then that's hitting the antagonistic structures, so you're not just doing one or other you want to ideally do both Yeah. Uh, and other than that I mean you could you could do a wee circuit like that yes you're putting in easy half hour mm-hmm. and you're punctured and keep it high heaven. intensity and high intensity yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: definitely for, uh, for for you guys it's all about that and, and trying to get again different planes of movement in so you could even get wee resistance cables to do sort of rotational patterns and things to really hit other sort of Uh, obscure areas of the core through the the obliques and serratus and things like that that are all going to be worked a lot, whether you know it or not, when you're on the bike.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot to it. Um, So what about stretching and flexibility? How important would that be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when people are training and they're, they're squatting and things like that, those are all great full movement patterns that actively stretch the body as well. Uh, the problem is some people start out and they're not doing they're not capable of full squats or whatever it's important for for them especially but really for anyone to, to, to maintain a maintain flexibility uh, again being active and on the bike uh, will invariably improve flexibility however I mentioned before there is some problem areas that Get basically simply overactivated, like the hip flexors and so on. They just need to be a wee bit cautious about. So, definitely, I would say not so much just before you go out on the bike because there is a lot of, if you're going to go out on the bike, you do the active stretching basically where it's your. Pulsing in and out of stretches Mm -hmm. Because if you do Like an isometric stretch Or one that you hold For 45 seconds to a minute That can actually switch The muscles off slightly So it means they don't respond As sharply and as quickly Which you Mm. obviously don't want Uh, So for sports performance It's recognised that Active or sort of more ballistic Stretches are the ones so Rotational patterns where you might be Throwing a ball sideways against the wall But you're actually stretching right through On it and things like this or even just holding Maybe a medicine ball moving reasonably quickly Hip flexor stretches Where you're pushing out into A full stretch with one knee in the ground One foot on the ground ahead of you Mm -hmm. So like a lunge And you push out towards the the Foot in the ground stretching the, the, The opposing hip you hold that for about five seconds, you come back out of it. Because again, you don't want to go out and do that as a single stretch, hold for 35 seconds, switch off the the muscles a little bit. Because what happens is uh, there's a wee, uh, the Golgi tendon organ, basically. It's a wee thing in the tendons that let the muscle know they've been stretched for a long period and they kind of let the muscle relax. Mm. But you kind of don't want a particularly relaxed muscle. The minute you step onto a bike and you have to explode and, power up a hill. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more oh. to let the mu- the muscles know, yes, I can get to this point, but you're gonna let me come out of it. Get that mm-hmm. come out of it. Gets a bit of heat through and so on. So that's the sort of stretching before now by all means Isometric stretches after, which are obviously going to help the recovery as well. So, right. and even I know a lot of guys, surfers, uh, bikers, and things that all get into a bit of yoga and things as well, which is yeah, good for uh, also for your mind and so on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that sort of the the stretching and mobilising is very useful.
1: Right. Okay. Recovery then um, is something that I think is always overlooked. And we talked about it a wee bit earlier and how keen you are for sleep and recovery. Like, How important is recovery after a couple of hours, two or three hours on the bike?
0: Oh, it's a, it's essential because you need those muscles recovered because they're obviously being torn up as you're out on the bike. It's micro tears that give you that sort of discomfort uh, sort of post-training, post post-biking. So you need those tissues to be all well-healed before you go out and jump on the bike again and uh, now mm-hmm. it can take up to about 72 hours but you can certainly speed that recovery because most of us don't have the luxury of just waiting and yeah. getting on the bike you know three days later we're, mm-hmm. we're more than likely and as you adjust your body's gonna be much quicker at recovering but no it, it's essential it's essential to um eat the right food time even time in the food for you guys if you're out sort of 90 minutes uh you've expired you've you've Gone beyond sort of your ideal length of time in, a, in being active mm-hmm. so you're starting to look into different energy systems you're going to be producing a lot of lactic acid you're going to be completely expired at the muscle in terms of the glycogen or the mm-hmm. glucose that is stored in, yeah. in the muscle for energy um and you're Instead of using carbohydrates and and your uh, oxygen from breathing, you're now probably breaking down amino acids, so you're actually breaking into potentially into muscle tissue and so on. So that's so important uh, that basically stock those levels back up the minute you're sort of off the bike, um, and then like I say that will also help with the uh, injury uh, avoidance as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, the, you know, and that's one thing as well is as the whole injury side of things, and if you're training if you're going out and doing too much and not fueling yourself that's when injuries can possibly happen so recovery is very key for that
0: absolutely yeah that's and i think that's where a lot of people sometimes go wrong and they kind of think well i can get away with a load of crap food because sure i'm doing loads yeah (laughs) but but the problem is it's like you know it's the old adage of trying to build a house from mud you know it's gonna it's gonna (laughs) collapse at some point and the body is effectively the same there's a uh essential micronutrients there that we need to sustain our life and especially if you're a very active life yes your body's more capable of uh, prevention of inflammation and things like that but you have to fuel it right to optimize that and uh, yeah to recover more quality foods of course are going to replenish and replace and allow cells to um, recover and um, that's and replicate and that's where uh, the recovery process is down to quality as well as quantity mm-hmm.
1: and is there anything you would say about recovery like how do you know when you have recovered and obviously it 's just more than oh, I feel a bit tired today and maybe shouldn 't go out in the bike like Is there any other signs that tell you that you 've recovered properly? and you maybe just shouldn't go on the bike today? or
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big believer now, later in my career, I'm really listening to my body. So if you're physically just in severe pain, I think when we a bit, Younger and a bit more deaf, have go you know, would have gone out <laughs> straight away yeah. again. When you're absolutely punctured, and you'd really have struggled, and then you'd notice your performance was bad, but also then your coordination probably suffered. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to fall. You're more likely to then hurt yourself, even bigger, yeah, more yeah. severe crashes, etc. So, yeah, I think you will when you're particularly fatigued. You really know because you're your cognitive function and everything's not the same, you're not as alert mentally, and uh, that's when it can be da- dangerous in, in this game because it it's a, a potentially a very high-impact sport if you yeah. get it wrong. Like.
1: Yeah, certainly. On to diet then, which is super important, as we all know, um, but what would the average mountain biker need to kind of think about in terms of diet? Well, I mean, if you're not sort of at the competitive end and trying
0: to get ready for an event and things like that, we might be carb depleting and manipulating carbohydrates. So there's more stored in the muscle, etc. For just day to day biking and feeling sharp and alert in a bike, it's uh, uh, it's back to what we'd said there about good quality whole foods. You know, where you're making more of the food, you're not. Yeah. Maybe not just as much. You're you're not just buying convenience foods. You're you're actually in the kitchen putting vegetables together Mm -hmm. with, with meats and and a good variety of carbohydrates and a good balanced approach is just the key for feeling good, feeling alert covering the nutritional needs of the, of the sport and the recovery. So basically the more quality of foods and like I say, that sort of whole food approach of making your own foods, getting some recipes together, even maybe timing and around say you do go out for a, a, a large bike ride, maybe a, a margin more sort of carbohydrates from either potatoes rice sweet potatoes things like that mm-hmm. uh of course pasta and things as well but i would i tend to favor more um along the lines of what's coming from the ground like potatoes and so yeah personally mm-hmm. uh and people will know as well i think across the board you know naturally we've a different ability to process foods and different bodies and so on so things that obviously make you uncomfortable. Eating, don't eat them yeah yeah uh, but yeah definitely getting a, a good sort of balanced diet where there's plenty color in it there's lots of fruits and veg and uh, good lean sources of protein and uh, good quality uh, essential fats like your avocados and olive mm-hmm. oils and things but yeah basically just eating a good balanced approach a balanced diet yeah. that's the best approach for anyone uh, but particularly when you're very active so you do get that quality recovery and you can perform better yeah. you know you feel sharp you, f- you feel good anyway yeah. and you're going to the effort of getting involved in the sport you may as well improve your your overall health totally. and fitness at the same time
1: and I make you enjoy the, the sport better because yeah, you, you, know, you can
0: perform better and, yeah, you, know, you get you know,
1: fitter and everything else um, ok so the big thing at the minute I know Well, always probably has been, but it's fueling yourself before a ride. And one of the thing I things I see guys doing in the car park, you know, just before they jump on their bike, they're eating these energy bars and stuff. Um, I have always had an issue with or a problem with fueling myself. I would I personally would think I would need to eat at least an hour and a half before I jump on a bike or I'll not feel great. Um, is it true that you kind of need to fuel yourself about an hour before you do anything rather than five minutes before you do anything?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the the problem with taking then very high sugar energy uh, pr- provisions just a couple of minutes before you ride, you're likely going to spike far too soon. And there is research that's illustrated that you actually end up using a lot more glycogen from muscles. So the energy that's actually stored in the muscle, you end up using more of it because you've just released a load of sugar into the bloodstream, right? which empties the muscles out to then sort of replenish. Okay, uh, And then that happens much quicker. So you have a spike and you're great for the first... You know, or maybe your bike ride and then all of a sudden you're completely hypoglycemic and busted and mm-hmm. struggling to make it back home, <laughs> you know. So the, the, the thing there is to have a big solid meal, which is a nice balanced meal, plenty fats, plenty protein, plenty uh, carbs, you know, just a good big meal, basically. Mm-hmm. It's nice mm-hmm. and balanced. So, um yeah, even if you you're you're meat and two veg kind of yeah. with with your spuds, is it something like that's ideal, or like a nice stir fry with rice and things like that? But eat yeah, a good solid wholesome meal. You're not going to try and carb load at that late stage. Your body's already got its glycogen stores in the muscle anyway. But you're mm-hmm. basically just filling it with foods that it can release energy at good. Um, sort of intervals right. as the body naturally does anyway because when it runs out of one source it looks to another basically okay. so in a very simple form so you've just got a nice balanced meal you go out in a bike now if you're out in a bike for anything over 90 minutes you're going to start hitting into those reserves that you want yeah.
1: intra-training well that that's very interesting because I'll tell you a, a wee story quickly I went out to Garva one day myself And I said to myself, I'm going about here for an hour and a half. It was wet, it was cold, and I went and I was kind of looking for new trails that I hadn't read. But what I I didn't realise was before you've done that, you actually have to go into the trail at the exit point, if you like, to find out where the entry is. So I ended up going uphill all the time. And I hadn't taken any fuel or anything with me to eat, you know, and because I thought I'll be out for an hour, hour and a half, that'll be me. I ended up climbing up wet, dirty trails for about three and a half hours. (laughs) Because I just kept going, I kept going. And you see, when I come home, I had some food. And you see, about half an hour after that, I I felt so ill. It was unbelievable. I actually had to go and throw up. I was really ill. And I just thought, wow. So I read into it a wee bit. And whatever I read was saying, you need to fuel your system every hour and a half, basically
0: yeah especially when you're active like that because you are expiring everything at the muscle and uh expiring at anything sort of there's gastric uh you know things happening basically in your metabolism that your your body's is still burning and breaking down the foods that you've consumed mm-hmm. but when you started really expiring that in about ninety minutes you see there's there's like a an insulin window that your body sort of uh, secretes insulin a little bit higher and then all of a sudden it goes off the charts. Mm -hmm. So you're really craving glucose. So uh, that's where, at that point, if and when you're going to have slightly more sugary-based foods that are quite quick at the delivery of energy, that would be the time. Mm -hmm. Now, the ideal in terms of what the research looks like is it's about a ratio of 1 to 7 in terms of a good quality protein. And carbohydrate, because I I believe there's sort of good quality protein. But at that stage, your body's now looking at aminos, which are the simple things that make up protein for energy, which you can break down from a diet, what's what your body's sort of breaking down in, in terms of food you've eaten over the day, but also can from your muscle. So to satiate that and to satisfy that, you have a little bit of protein. The carbohydrates then, the glucose, is more likely to find its way directly straight to the muscle, when there's a little bit of protein involved, mm-hmm. just naturally, that's the mm-hmm. way the body sort of, and also a small amount of the, like a, a sugar's broken down into glucose and fructose. Uh, the small amount, of, or the fructose element's actually useful in that instance. I'm not normally a fan of fructose, but at that point, it allows, it feeds the liver and our brain. Mm-hmm. So that sort of coordination losing yeah. and things like that, wow. that starts to really satisfy that. But then also, um, then the glucose that's left over goes straight to the muscle. So the body's then quickly replenishing that energy. And you, you, know, you, you know, you've know, you probably been there. We've had those big long cycles and you just stop for a wee second and said the guys, here, look, let's get something in this. And you have maybe a slightly sugary drink and a mm-hmm. sandwich and all of a sudden you're firing.
1: Well, you know, the funny thing was about that about that day in Gar- Garva, I, I knew I was pushing it and I knew I was, you know, I, I was going at it hard, but I physically didn't feel that I needed to, you know, fuel my system. But since that day, even if I don't feel that I need to fuel my system, I will keep an eye on the clock, and I'll stop every hour and a half or whatever, and have a banana or something.
0: Yeah. If you, if you, know. you if you get the point of feeling it, you've left it far too long. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That's when the body has gone into complete crash. Wow. So, like you say, you nearly need to be aware mm-hmm. that that's in the post if you don't eat. So, yeah. and and pretty much the benchmark, the the magic number is about 90 minutes. Now, a lot of very intense uh, sort of, um, particularly the road guys, they're like what, at about 60 minutes on, they start consuming sort of isotonic beverages, but they'll actually have physical food, you know, whether it's wee gel, sachets, yeah. it's always still yeah. maybe like a, a liquid essentially, but it's a bit mm-hmm. heavier mm-hmm. and some of them maybe eat something. And the same, same goes, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, for you guys, it's the same thing. It's like, but I would say sort of certainly by the 90 minutes, you've wanted to have something by the, not isotonic with, a, and a, by that, not the usual, the old school isotonic, which is basically just a sugary drink mm-hmm. by something. I mean, that, there's a little bit of protein in there as well as the carbohydrate.
1: Right, okay. Yeah, very interesting. And talking about kind of supplements like that um, for training and diet and stuff, do you feel that that's the kind of thing you should be taking up the mountain with you, or can you take homemade stuff, or what? What's kind of the best? Like, I'm sure at your level now, what you're doing, you're taking supplements and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I'm with LA Muscle, and um, I'll put put up actually for guys of uh, discount codes and things. But LA Muscle have great recovery uh, shakes and things like this, which sometimes is just not convenient to get the food in. Mm-hmm. Both are. And to be honest I always still Will favour food Mm -hmm. But it's just from a convenience point of view I do uh, I would take sort of a good quality whey protein Also motivation and things From certain uh, Supplements there's like these guys have like A limitless supplement which just keeps you Very alert especially when you're At something like that something highly highly Intense and so Mm -hmm. on and it's a um, Sort of series of Essential nutrients, basically, which, you, which you'll be calling upon at that stage. But, um, yeah, I mean, if guys are just sort of day trippers going up the mountain and so on, uh, bring, bring, like, even like you say, make something up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Have, if you prefer, it's a bit less, um, you know, less weight in your back, maybe just having an intra-training drink. Yeah. And then maybe, like, a, some sort of, like, a salad box with sweet potato, grated sweet potato through the salad or something. Or like a rice salad or something like that. That's kind of still got a good platform of nutrients to work from.
1: Rather than a Snickers bar. Rather
0: than a Snickers bar. (laughs) (laughs) As great (laughs) as a Snickers bar is, you know, it's not going to probably sustain you anywhere near the same. And again, it's back down to having sort of micronutrients and things that are all very essential to life. But they they keep us alert, they keep us sharp, and they keep us performing better. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You can quite quickly crash if it is just plain old sugar yeah that you've uh, thrown into you
1: and i think you can feel that in your system too yeah absolutely you know because you get that high and then you get but you go into a low quite quickly you know quickly yeah um okay so i'm quite interested then because i know your background obviously but you've went from just being one of the guys surfing (laughs) with everybody else (laughs) to being a professional trainer and professional bodybuilder and for somebody in biking that's coming from a level, a younger fella like that's coming from a level and maybe going out and enjoying it with me, it's two or three times a week. What's what's the difference or what's the stages you have to do to kind of get to a pro level, do you think, as far as your fitness and strength and everything goes? Well, obviously, there'll they'll, they'll be guys that
0: see a natural sort of talent in something. You know, now these guys are performing really well on the bike. To get it to the next level, they they need to think of it as a profession if they're going to go to a professional level so mm-hmm. th- like their whole focus their schedule has to be centered around training uh, getting out on the, obviously training both on the bike and off the bike mm-hmm. so it's 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 a bit of a mindset is one of the first things to engage in the point well i'm going to really seriously take this on this has to be a full-time commitment you're going to have to take a few sacrifices where you're not out partying with your mates and so on yeah. like this is a yeah. physical game you cannot lose days to being out in the lash and mm-hmm. things like that and also in terms of your physical conditioning that will completely negate so much so yeah g- making a sort of mental switch making some sacrifices sharpening up everything from your diet in through your training uh, setting out your schedule so you know exactly what you're doing when you're doing it on the days you might be skipping out on something, but when you're at the amateur level, well, no, you don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. have to be on it, and uh, then getting the right support. Maybe you know having a trainer on board that's going to push your performance yeah. to the next level. Uh, and and so would on. you
1: advise somebody that's wanting to, or say somebody that's parents or they see their kid wanting to progress and wanting to get into the pro levels or whatever? Would you advise certainly coming and seeing somebody like yourself, and uh, you know, again all the kind of, not behind the scenes, but a lot of stuff that you just would never really read about and get in your expertise and how muscles work and how diet works and everything like that. Is there a definite advantage for that? Uh,
0: Absolutely. You know, knowledge is power in every uh, pursuit and the guys that sort of uh, get the right trainers on board and in any sport you'll see across the board are the guys that are performing at the top because you can go out there and try and learn in your own capacity, but it might take you four years to learn mm-hmm. what someone could have effectively, you know, mm-hmm. imparted knowledge wise within a number of weeks. Aye. And yeah. that's the thing, you don't have time in any athletic career, so get the knowledge there and then so you're not having you're not going out and sort of chance uh, chancing it and saying, you know, learning mm-hmm. on the on the bike. Go make sure you've all the tools so your performance is completely optimised from the fastest perspective. Yeah. As opposed to the trial and error for years and then finally uh, peaking, you know, I kind of wish in a way I could go back to where I'd started my career and meet someone like myself. I was very lucky with mentors later on, but early on mm-hmm. there was not there was a lack of understanding yeah. in general and trained over here and probably in part led to uh, ultimately a career end and an injury for me, you know. So yeah, these are the things I, I would put Han Hart and say that that's one of the most important things to do. Yeah,
1: because it blew my mind. Because I was speaking to when I was speaking to Callum McGee, um, episode six. Um, you know, Callum was a good, and if you watch any of his, any of his films, he rips. You know, he's been out this season because of an injury. But um, it blew my mind when I was chatting to him about his early career, and they had no really form of coaching or dietitians or anything like that. So when he was. 15 16 17 he still wasn't been told you know you need to have a certain training schedule sort it you need to be eating this you need to be doing and yes he tried to get out in the bike and do as much as he could and he tried to eat better but there's a difference about you know from trying to do something and eating properly to actually doing it correctly the way you've been talking about you know throughout the thing and there was none of that and place, which is crazy. No, the infrastructure
0: is still not that great in sport over here. You know, we we don't have the money thrown at it that even likes so England would, and then going obviously further afield, America where it's just so commercial. Any sport really yeah. gets money thrown at it, and then unfortunately, then there's there's not really the expertise, and certain sports don't view it as as, as important. Bizarrely, you know, and even certain things like recently, like working. I've worked with some professional boxers and done their diets and so on when they're trying to make weight and it's amazing the approaches that they've told me they would have done back in the day simply because they were in these kind of backstreet gyms that didn't have the expertise and people were kind of winging it mm. and just doing like starvation diets and things like this can be yeah. madness for these athletes that have to perform at the top level. And I think it's a site that's obviously different and different spectrum, but the same thing goes for likes of mountain biking where it's saying, well, that's just something you do and you go out and have have crack. It's great. Yeah. You know, you're just a about in a bike. Mm-hmm. But it's so incredibly physically demanding, but the expertise hasn't been put into it, uh, whereas other sort of sports that the performance is really more recognized as being down to... The training and the diet and so on, like track and field and so on, moved on a bit further and a bit quicker. Yeah, there's other sports are being slightly left behind, and uh, Mm -hmm. it's just trying to get that balance. I think even now, the professionalism sort of seen in rugby and so on. Rugby guys again, these guys would have stepped off pitch, gone had a pint of beer. Hi, you know. And although probably some still do that to a certain extent, (laughs) uh, it's it's so the professional era has totally changed that. Where it's just kind of it's really. Honed in this notion of To perform at your optimum Which they are needed and required to do They have to get the diet right They have to get the training right And they have to have the right expertise in place To Mm -hmm. illustrate how it's done
1: Okay, very very good Uh, So for somebody then That's out biking a couple of times a week Like myself Wants to get a wee bit better Wants to get a wee bit fitter Just briefly, what would you say the best things are to do today? You know, would you go say visit a gym, visit a PT? What What's the best way to just kind of get the ball rolling and get started?
0: Yeah, a bit of your own research would be good, and also researching into your personal trainers and things as well, because there's Mm -hmm. so many now out there. Get someone who's going to give you the right advice and and be sort of uh, attentive to your needs. You know and ideally, even get someone who's maybe even involved in the sport or whatever. But get yeah. some form of, yeah, like a mentor would be great, personal trainer, and uh, get to the gym so you're doing the right thing and you're not wasting your time. Yeah, time's too important to all of us to go in and sort Aye. of punt away and lose endless hours to doing something that's not really pushing you exactly. to, your, to your end goal. Yeah, so no. yeah, I would say get started and get in the gym if you're not someone who's particularly happy or it's not you don't have the means necessarily for personal training do your own research but do read plenty read a lot about sort of the performance because there's so there's a there's so much information out there in all sports you can quite quickly get your hands on performance-based training and you'll know sort of the quality of the information depending on who it is like or whether it's coming from sort of uh studies journals things like this right okay so, and where would you get
1: me. that and like a lot of it online. Just magazines. Yeah. Or magazines
0: online, online and uh, research into guys, maybe look into the guys that you're sort of interested in in the sport and see what their background is, who their trainers are and so on, because yeah. you find out they've that so and so has trained them. I'm sure you can get information quite quickly online mm-hmm. about the type of uh, regime that they would put in place yeah and at least it gives you a sort of like a starting point but yeah it's even better still if someone's standing over you and picking apart what you're doing to make sure once you get started and the thing is that doesn't have to be for the rest of your days you know yeah. you could go in and quite quickly and that's what i say especially younger athletes and so on if they come into me i try and educate them in a as quickly as possible so within a handful of months they would know exactly if they go off On their own for the rest of their days, they're still going on the right path. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the option.
1: It's all good info. All good info indeed. And um, thank you very much, Neil. It's been awesome. Now, how can people get in contact with you? I'm uh, on sort of social media.
0: I've I've got an Instagram there, and Neil Anderson PT. Uh, Follow me there, so there'll be sort of tips, advice, and so on. Uh, On Facebook, uh, Neil Anderson WBFF Pro. And uh, I have a website, Neil Anderson uh, uh, Fitness dot com, which will have online training resources as well. Uh, now I've literally in the the last phase of getting that relaunched, so uh, no, within brilliant. the next handful of weeks, that'll be up and running. Awesome. And it, and there there will be bespoke areas that people can contact me and potentially do remote training and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that'll be very
1: useful. Brilliant. Well. And I'll put all the links in the show notes for all that as well and anything else we've chatted about as well I'll put links on there so that'll be good so Neil thank you very much mate it's been awesome thank you for having me good to see you great to see you (laughs) right, bud thanks very much no bother i hope you enjoyed that folks thanks very much for listening that was an absolutely awesome show and a lot of knowledge and depth there from neil regarding training and what we should be doing so thank you neil so much for that That that's pretty awesome if you want to find out anything more about neil what he does where he works how you can get in contact please visit the show notes at mtb-tribe.com you can also download and listen to the episode from the website as well and if you haven't already please visit itunes subscribe rate and share the show it really helps you can do the same from stitcher um, and that's where you'll find us there so thank you so much for being involved and being part of the mtb tribe podcast hopefully i'll see you on the trail soon but until then enjoy your biking and have a great week